When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Beyond the To-Do List. I'm your host, Eric Fisher, and this is the show where I talk to the people behind the productivity. This week, I'm excited to bring back Mike Sturm and share this conversation with you about his new book, The Wabi Sabi Way. And for those of you who aren't familiar with what the Wabi Sabi Way is or what Wabi Sabi is, we'll dive deep into this philosophical practice that has to do with simplicity, contentment, managing stress and the flow of life. And I thought this is a great topic for right now, not just in my life, but in everyone's life. So I know you're going to love it. If you, by chance, did not listen to Mike Sturm's conversation on last week's episode, go ahead and make sure to check that out too, because it's all about his previous collection of essays, Be, Think, Do. And in that conversation, we talk about the meaning of productivity. These two episodes go kind of hand in hand, which is great. But nonetheless, I'll get out of the way so you can listen to this conversation with Mike Sturm. Well, this week, it is my privilege to welcome back to the show, Mike Sturm. Mike, welcome back. Oh, thanks for having me back, Eric. So you don't know this, but prior to this recording, I have just, uh, like I've been doing, uh, re-releasing some of my best of uh, episodes, things that I think are worthwhile taking a, a revisit to. So last time you were here, we talked about your compilation uh, project that you had done, Be, Think, Do, and uh, we talked about efficiency and effectiveness and the meaning of the word productivity and everybody else's meaning of the word productivity. <laughs> and so that honestly, that was really fun for me to listen back to, to kind of reframe, uh, you know, that last conversation and then tie it into this one. But we're not going to talk about all that stuff. But if you really want to listen to theoretical, semantical talk about productivity, oh, yes. it is it is a geek out fest. And I invite you to go back and listen to that and then listen to this one or or stay here first and go go back and get that one. I want to jump into this conversation by stating that you're in academic philosophy to a certain extent, or at least that's where you kind of came from. And so yeah. I imagine that's how you came to be uh, aware of the Wabi Sabi way. Uh, but I'd love for you to just like basically say, okay, Wabi Sabi, what the heck is that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's the $64,000 question, right? Um, so yeah, I, I came up through academic philosophy. Um, I taught there for about five years, um, just teaching intro to philosophy stuff, uh, to, you know, college students who were almost a captive audience. And, um, one thing that I realized while I was teaching that environment, you know, here in the States, there's not a huge emphasis on Eastern philosophy. I always thought it was very interesting from pretty much from the time that I got into college as an undergrad, um, 18. And, uh, I was kind of looking for 
different viewpoints, right? You go off to college and there's this idea that you, um, you find different things, right? Different ideas that can pique your interest and, and maybe change your life. And, um, I'd say getting into studying Buddhism for a little bit in college, uh, really tr- transformed or changed the way that I looked at pretty much everything. Um, I always been into science and, um, and into kind of this uh, solidified worldview of things, but I never really checked out what was going on on kind of the other side of things. And, I'd say probably around the beginning of graduate school when I had chosen philosophy as kind of my way, um, I stumbled across this thing called Wabi Sabi. And it's one of those things that if, if anyone's familiar with the Tao Te Ching, um, which is like the, the basic text of Taoism, there's this, this inability of words to really describe something. It's an ineffability. And that's definitely something that's present in Wabi Sabi. But here's the elevator pitch if I could be so bold as to give one. Wabi-sabi is basically, it's a term that that talks about a way of being that is simple, authentic, relaxed, elegant, and um, it shows the, um, the, the qualities, uh, the positive qualities of aging. I guess that would be a really good way to put it. Well, and, and actually that's kind of a key point there is that it's the wabi-sabi way and it's pairing two words that mean different things. Yeah. So Wabi is, is kind of like, um, it's a peace or, or quiet fulfillment, uh, or an intentional simplicity. Um, whereas Sabi is, and these are both very old words going back to, you know, ancient Japan. Um, Sabi is kind of like, a a graceful or quiet dignity. So sometimes you'll see translations of Wabi as kind of like impoverished, and that's where the simplicity part comes in. Um, but Sabi is more like uh, this idea of um, that kind of aging thing that I said a minute ago, um, or, or imperfection is another way to put it. So some people have described it as like being perfectly imperfect. Um, and I, I describe in the book a little bit, um, if, you, if you just imagine, not even imagine, but think back to someone that you've met Um, in a social situation or in a professional setting, someone who's got that gravitas, who walks into a room and they're not overbearing, they're not in your face or aggressive, but they command your attention in a really quiet way. And, And you look at them and you think, man, that person has a quiet confidence and understatedness. Um, they're not, you know, super manicured and made up. They didn't spend hours getting themselves ready. Um, they just are what they are, and they're okay with that. And because of that, uh, they really command your respect and attention. Um, and really, that's the goal of the book, is to to impart the, the wisdom that I've found through research and experience uh, about how to get to that place where you are that person. So I almost picture Yoda in my mind. Where, yeah, in a way, you know, because yeah. he he kind of embodies both sides of this uh, in, yeah. in my mind, the way he is peaceful. And I guess by peaceful, I mean content um, that he's in the moment that he's very simple. It's just him, his robe and his cane, his little walking cane um, <laughs> that he there's even an there's even an economy to the words that he uses, even though he's using them backwards in a way. So, yeah. yes, yeah. 
Yeah, that's uh, well. Just to be clear for our audience, right? Because there may be some younger folks. We're talking um, older Yoda, not baby Yoda. Oh de- no! That, that, yeah, <laughs> sorry. When, when yeah. gosh, so so I'm a guy who uh, one I won't call him baby Yoda because in the show they call him the child. Uh, that's right. Or if you watch the the uh, behind the scenes stuff for the Mandalorian, you'll see that that. Uh, during directing of shots and things, they would refer to it as baby and that's it. So, Oh, nice. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. There was a, there's a section there where Bryce Dallas Howard, uh, is directing an episode and she did one of the ones where, gosh, I don't, can't believe we're doing this. Uh, the one where, <laughs> the one where they're on the planet and in the, the walk, the ATAT is there or the walker, the little walker thing. Um, and it's the little village and all the kids are playing with quote baby Yoda. And so she's <laughs> talking child. to the kids. Yeah. The child. And she's talking to the kids behind the scenes. She's like, don't you just love baby? And like, you know, and, and she just keeps talking. She, every time she referred to it and others have referred to it, it was baby. So there you go. Yeah. Anyway, but we're talking about old Yoda. Old no, we're talking episode four through six Yoda. Well, I guess the other episodes too, but yeah, those, the, those the, the, ones the, here the older here. one. That, well, actual Yoda. The other one again, not same race, different name. His name is Yoda. We don't know his race. Um, it's his age, but by age we mean his his wisdom, his and his restraint, even yeah, like his, yeah. And that's a big part of it. I, I, you know, I didn't write a ton about restraint in here. I don't even know if I use that exact word. Um, but you mentioned economy, the economy of words that I think that's a big Mm -hmm. part of it. Um, because, because really it, you know, Yoda, Yoda has been around for so long. He's seen so many things. Um, it tends to be easier for us to see someone who's older or a creature who's older. Um, and, and we see those signs of aging, uh, and if they've done it right, right. If they've really lived in this, in this way, then those, those wrinkles and that kind of, you know, those tufts of hair that are all over the place. Um, those are not signs of, um, of being disheveled or disorganized or not caring, they're signs of having been through some stuff and not just going through the stuff, but letting, letting that stuff uh, change you into a better version of what you were before continuously, right? Every, every day you're getting a little better. Um, but it doesn't mean you're, you're going to be perfect, uh, either in how you look or how you act or anything like that. But, um, but you, you accept that reality is going to shape and change you. And I think that's a big part of it is, you know, the, the Eastern thought has a lot to say about how we interact with reality. And I bring up, uh, this is a kind of uh, a way of talking about economy, but more in terms of action, the concept of Wu Wei, um, which I've written about kind of separately a few times and a, a bunch of other people have too. It's this concept that comes out of Taoism and Chinese thought, which is, it's the way of inaction or acting through inaction or non-action. Uh, and it's not necessarily like be lazy, but it's a way of, of approaching things that doesn't revolve around aggressive, um, continuous strain and struggle. Um, instead it revolves around really dropping into the moment and dropping into reality, getting to know the situation and, and finding the inroads. Um, so, so there's, there's an element of, of becoming older and becoming wise that really involves that. 
And it's, it is, it's like an interplay in a relationship between you and your environment. Um, so that you don't stay the exact same person through 30 years of trials and tribulations. Uh, you have affected the world a little bit, but you've also let it affect you and uh, people can see that and sense that. Mm. Yeah, that is very interesting. And, and that's kind of, uh, the, I want to say, well, connection, connection with nature, I guess, is, is also another aspect of all of this. I just, sure. think, I'm thinking about this and I'm saying, well, you know what? We haven't exactly said, we've, we've kind of started to describe what the, what wabi sabi is, but we haven't really talked about what the wabi sabi way is or what the benefit of following that is. And I think that's really also going to be a place where people are going to keep thinking, oh, you know what? That really is Yoda. <laughs> the more I think about it. <laughs> Yeah. So I guess to give a rundown of, of what the way is, right? Uh, the book is broken down into six basic, um, I guess, parts of the way. So the first part is simplicity, which revolves around basically what it sounds like. You simplify um, the things in your life and you simplify your environment. So there is an element of like cleaning house, literally and figuratively. Um, that's a big part of it. Uh, and really the first part, the more you have going on in your mind, the more you have going on in your world. And those are really kind of the same thing anyway. Um, the harder it is to really drop in and just be in reality and and get that sense of like, how do I how do I not have to strain and struggle so much? Um, the next part is personal authenticity, which if you do the simplicity part right, then that becomes a lot easier because that's all about just listening, right? Listening to to who you are underneath all that stuff. Obviously, there's going to be mindfulness involved, right? Just in terms of um, paying attention to your thoughts and desires and all that stuff that, that course through your mind all day uh, and getting more familiar with those uh, and and not fighting the ones that, that don't need to be fought and, and letting the ones go that need to be let go. And then contentment is the next part of it. And that is just learning to be okay with things. There's a huge part of um, anxiety and, and this is for me, but I'm sure it applies to other people. You get anxious, um, you get on edge, you get nervous, you get worried. Uh, those may all be synonyms, but there's different flavors of this feeling that we have of not being in control of things and not knowing what's going to happen next. Um, and there's there's a benefit to simplifying, knowing yourself a little better, and then just becoming okay with things, whatever, whatever might end up happening, acknowledging that you're not in control and that the things that happen on a day-to-day basis are not affronts against you. No one, no one is really coming after you for the majority of the things that are going on in the day. Um, and you can reserve your anger and, and frustration and anxiety for the times when someone really is coming at you, you know, which happens from time to time. There's the detachment as well. So that's number four. Detachment is, um, it's part of a way of becoming content, right? It flows kind of with that. You, you give up this um, attachment to outcomes. And this might be hard for a lot of people who are looking for productivity and results and all that stuff. Um, but there's so much that you can benefit from if you if you focus on just doing the right things or the things that are authentic to you and stop pinning your happiness and fulfillment to results. So I'll stop there for a second because I've been rolling on for a while. Yeah. So again, I, I love the the Yoda through thread that uh, we somehow 
stumbled upon. I think I just thought of him. Like it's, it literally, he popped in my head. And as you're talking about all of that, I just keep thinking of his, you know, his composure, his, um, lack of, uh, urgency. Well, you know, lack of, lack of, um, instant reaction or anger, you know, again, that kind of goes with the whole force thing, but, uh, that's Wu Wei. Like that, that right. right there we just described, that is Wu Wei. It's like, you know, I'm going to do something, right? Or I'm going to ask someone to do something about this or delegate. But I, just because things are falling apart, I'm not just going to jump into action just to do something. Yeah. Uh, but I just, I, I picture him and I don't see anxiety. I don't see, no. um, you know, a competitive nature. I don't, I, I see somebody who has, who is meditating often, uh, who is self-aware and aware of their surroundings, uh, and is practicing self-inquiry and actually inquiry of others and, and teaching it. Yeah. And w- what's interesting about, so I like that you said self-inquiry because, uh, you know, there, there is an element specifically in some schools of Buddhism uh, of interconnectedness and it gets it can get a little heady when you talk about everyone being interconnected but uh, for me i've seen a lot of evidence that there just there are a lot of interconnections between people and the environment and all that stuff um so in a sense self-inquiry then really there's not a uh, uh, a firm divide between self-inquiry and inquiry to others right inquiry into what others are up to and thinking and all that stuff and the more that you can see yourself in others and see others in you, uh, the more it just becomes inquiry. There's no, there's no adjective to it. It's just, it's inquiry and you become, you become more in tune. The more you inquire, uh, it's almost impossible to not then become in tune. And if you're in tune, um, the more you discover just you discover the beautiful things and you discover, uh, you know, the rest of it. Uh, whatever else is going on out there. And in the end, in certain moments where you do really drop into this kind of inquiry in a meditative state or, or just moments where you don't even expect it, you can, if you're open to it, you can really just feel like really good about stuff. Like you can just feel that things are beautiful as they are and you'll be frustrated tomorrow and that's fine. Um, but you can get more and more of these feelings of like, you know, this, this whole mess we've got here is just, it's beautiful. Like it's crazy, but it's beautiful. Mm, yeah. I think, and, and I think that's one of those reasons why this is a, a key piece in time for, for this to be, I mean, this isn't new, but it's you uh, bringing it out at a time where people need it perhaps more than ever. Um, you know, I, I have had a hit, not a hit or miss, but a, um, I haven't had like a structured, you know, meditative, uh, practice per se, but I've been using, uh, and I talk about it all the time on the show, but I talk about, uh, uh, brain FM. Um, yeah, yeah. And that's helpful because I mean, I can use it to either, uh, help me calm down or to focus with, on, a, on a task at hand or to, uh, you can actually literally do meditation. Now it's not guided meditation, but it can kind of get your brain state to that place quicker that I think that the Wabi Sabi way is something that would uh, benefit a lot of people to approach seeing if there's anything here for them uh, in this. What, what kind of a person, like if I were to say, Oh, that person is really practicing that. How would you describe that person? Not, you know, not describe the way, but describe the person who is following the way. 
So, so I think that's, that's probably even a better way to even talk about Wabi Sabi. I know we did it a little bit, um, at the beginning, but you can, you can spot a person who's really practicing this kind of living by, by just their, their comfort with themselves and, and the way that they interact with other people. Um, there's, there's a genuine respect uh, that they have with others, a genuine curiosity and interest. Cause like we, like we just kind of talked about, um, you start to see that line between self inquiry and the inquiry into others and into reality. You see that line blur, the more you you really drop into that kind of inquiry. And so, you know, I think everyone's probably met some people who are just really curious and curious in a way where, uh, you can kind of see their their own pretenses about themselves drop away. They're just curious about what you or what someone else that they're talking to has to say, and and they're they're really just trying to to get in touch with something deeper. And um, I think if you if you really do that, if you if you leverage that in your life, a lot of the noise goes away. A lot of the preoccupations with how things are going to turn out, a lot of preoccupations with uh, the results of this and that or the anxieties that are going on, they can really drop away. Um, but it, you really have to feel it. I mean, it, it's going to sound really antithetical to a lot of the productivity processes and methods that are out there that we're reading and writing about. But it really it is you just have to you have to practice some way of getting in touch with uh, your deeper thoughts and intentions and things that that works for you. And Eric, you mentioned, you know, you, you had kind of been in and out of doing uh, meditation methods and practices and all that stuff. I have too. And I used to beat myself up about it. Um, but then I just kind of step back and ask myself, well, what is the reason why I'm doing it? Like, is it just so that I can say every day that I'm meditating? Well, what, you know, what good does that do? Um, but if there's another way that I can drop into reality, drop into myself and just be in the present moment and, and get rid of all the noise, I'm not so sure it matters what that is, right? As long as I'm not doing anything unethical, um, then that can be the meditation. There's all sorts of different um, meditation methods that are discussed in the book. You know, there's there's earthing and forced bathing and um, moving meditation and working meditation. Uh, and the reason that they're all in there is because there's so many different ways that our minds can work at different times in our individual lives. And they can all benefit from different practices, whether they're the same practice for the rest of your life or just ones that you cycle in and out of. But I don't think we need to feel guilty at all about that stuff. And that's part of that authenticity. I think if someone's doing that, you can see that reflected in them. You can see that they, they're confident and cool, calm and collected, and they're not beating themselves up about not meditating and they're not beating themselves up about this or that. And when you talk to them, they're present and you can tell. Still searching for a great candidate for your company? Don't search, just match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch that busy work. Instead, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. I wish I had Indeed when I was in the hiring process in roles in the past because it is a slow, arduous headache of a process to find the right people, or at least it used to be, join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to find and hire great talent 
fast. In fact, in the minute I've been talking to you, 23 hires were made on Indeed according to Indeed data worldwide. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash to-do list. Just go to indeed.com slash to-do list right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash to-do list. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's something that works so well, it basically feels like magic. For me, I'm thinking air conditioning, noise-canceling headphones, definitely. Meeting-free Fridays. What about selling with Shopify? (coughs) Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch-your-own-shop stage to the first real store stage, you don't have to just sell your own stuff anymore. With Shopify Collective, you can curate products to sell from brands you love and give your customers more variety in your business more sales. Shopify is your no excuses business partner. Sell without needing to code or design. Just bring your best ideas and Shopify will help you open up shop. Shopify also helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort. Thanks to Shopify magic, your AI powered all-star sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash beyond. Again, go to shopify.com slash beyond now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash beyond ultimately i think people get it like it's this kind of peaceful contentment that you know circumstances happen and it kind of rolls off your back like a duck uh, you know, you, you're in the moment, you can be effective, you can choose to do something, you can be spontaneous, but you're also, um, quiet as well without, you can be loud too. I'm not saying like, this, you know, it's, it, it's a weird kind of a state, but anyway, uh, but the benefits are there and you can see it. I, my point is, is like, somebody's hearing all this and they're like, yeah, but what, how do you do it? Like, I don't, I don't like, what do I like? What are the, like, if I have to check off some boxes, like what are the boxes? And it's, it's, that's a really rigid way of looking at it when it's somewhat antithetical to, to this. But at the same time, like it's about figuring out what your way of doing the Wabi Sabi way is. Yeah. So, yeah, no, it's, it's, I mean, this is a, it seems like almost everything that I write or have a conversation about ends up being like a snake eating its tail. Right. I just, <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I remember because I, yeah. again, I did just listen back through to talking about being thinking and doing and how those kind of all feed into each other. And, uh, and this is another, I mean, to be honest, this is this in the Wabi Sabi way involves very much about being and very much yes. about thinking it. And it's a little bit less about doing, although, Hence my question that I just said is, well, how do we do this to think and be this way? Yeah. And I I guess if you put it that way, like it's almost like this is action agnostic, right? Like I give a lot of recommendations. I love that. Hold on. I got to say, I love the way you just put that, that it's, that's not about with which specific actions you're taking yeah, or even any at all to a certain extent. But I mean, there's, there is some, but anyway. Keep going. Well, that's that, and that that's exactly what it is. Because I mean, it just if you just think about it, like at a at a very basic philosophical level, uh, I mean, I there are people who have religious or spiritual traditions, right? That um, 
that believe that there there is there are things that we do have to do. Um, I think more often than not, it's just the types of things that we can't do, just so we're we're not doing terrible things to one another. But there's there's very little as human beings that we have to do. Right. I mean, you, you could sit in your house all day. Right. Some of us do. Well, actually, right now, a lot of us are sitting. <laughs> right, in I was going to say, we're all doing it right now. This is great. <laughs> right. We're on the way. You're ready. Um, but but basically, like you don't have to do a lot. You, you don't have to have a job. It's a lot better if you do because you have money to buy things and all that. But you don't have to. There are plenty of people who who live existences out in the isolated countryside and they don't have jobs. Um so I think, I think that's one of the first things that we really have to realize. I mean, it, if I'm going to give a crash course on, on living the wabi-sabi way, you just have to realize that there's so many things that you are requiring of yourself that aren't really required. Um, and I, w- I guess I would then back up and say, to answer your first question for the fifth time, because I'm just circling through it, like a person that really practices the wabi-sabi way is going to be the type of person that... Um, if they've set requirements for themselves that they feel they have to meet, they come from themselves and no one else. They have fully internalized whatever it is that uh, would stress anyone else out. And they're not feeling stressed because they're like, well, um, this is my thing. I fully agree to it. I see the value and I'm fully invested in it. And um, if if my best isn't going to be enough to to get me where I'm going, I will accept wherever I end up. And that's definitely the reflective of the the contentment uh, side of it, for sure. And I'm glad you brought that up because uh, as as you were asking, you know, for some more specific things and some more elaboration, uh, I'm always going to tell people, you know, read the whole book. It's not a long book, but if you really want to get a taste for, um, I guess, like a, a thought technology, if you will, or, or a way of looking at things that will get you on the right path to to living this way. Ch- the chapter on contentment, chapter three, is the one. That's the one that has uh, Wu Wei, non-action in it, um, talking about seeing things as they are and accepting things as the way they are. It's the chapter that I love to write the most out of all of these. Um, and, and to me, it's the one that... Uh, that every time I kind of feel like I'm I'm losing my grip on things, uh, I go back to either this chapter or stuff that I've wrote that kind of informed it, because that's really the meat and potatoes of this. And and obviously there are methods to help you, you know, at the end of the chapter and other chapters for meditation and all that other stuff. Um, but the end goal is to 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 live in this way where you're not so attached to outcomes and you can be content with things. It doesn't mean that you don't want something more for yourself, but you have to at least learn to be happy where you are, even if it's not where you want to be in the long run. Oh, I was just talking to a friend the other day and, and I told him, dude, I'm a broken record. There's often this thing that I do where I will say, man, if I can just get to this one point where I'm, we're past this thing, this project is done at work or this thing is done where I've you know, close this deal or I've done this thing, you know, if I can just get past that point, then I've got this breathing room to, you know, insert feeling better here, whatever form that takes. And I often, and, and I've, you know, I had a crash course in that the last six, seven months now with different, you know, I were talking prior to this about, you know, I, I've been sick and different things like that. And I've mentioned that a little bit on the show, but like, it's been crazy for me in a lot of ways. And, um, to still be productive. And so all those plans 
or, or all those uh, intended outcomes. Again, great to have goals, great to want more and be, want to be more and do more. But again, it's not all about that. And it's not about having, uh, it, it is about having contentment uh, with where things are at. And, and I wouldn't even say just contentment, but being appreciative of what you have yes. now, you know, and that, I guess that is the definition of contentment. I, I think that's the thing that I've been trying to practice the most these days where I will say to myself, I am not as sick as I have been. And I'm definitely not as sick as some people in the world have been recently. Uh, I have a job. I have a family. I have a house. I have uh, safety. I have, you know, and just to, you know, almost practiced and it's, it's almost practicing, um, what most people do only once a year on Thanksgiving here in the United States, (laughs) but on a smaller scale and at a much more granular level that really affects your, your, um, perspective. And what's, what's interesting is, I mean, I, I love that, uh, that discussion. And I, like you, I've had it many times where, um, you know, I talk, I catch myself saying, once this thing happens, then I'll be happy. Um, and you know, once in a while, someone wiser than myself will ask me, well, why is that? Like, why can't you be happy now? And then inevitably my answer is just, well, because I don't have this thing. Like, well, so your happiness, is it, is it in that thing? Like the job, like say it's a job. Does your happiness exist in that office building where the people are? And like, well, no, that's absurd. Like, okay, well, where, where will your happiness reside when you get that job? I'm like, well, in my head, like, well, it's already in there. Why, why can't you just tap into it now? And I was just like, oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) But we're, but we're so blind to that because, you know, we, we really have externalized, we've outsourced so much of our happiness. If you think about if you're a business owner, right, and you you outsource things, uh, there are risks with that. So if you have someone else handle stuff that really is really important to you, uh, you know, that that can be worrisome. Uh, so if you think about how much of our happiness we've outsourced to other objects and other people and stuff like that, uh, it's kind of dangerous. I really like what you said about uh, the Wu Wei and that chapter on contentment being a great entry point uh, into the Wabi Sabi way and the the book itself. Uh, I believe last time uh, when, when we were talking about Be, Think, Do, you said, again, not to just say don't read the whole book, but if you just read the B part, then yeah. and, and that's kind of what you're doing here is. But again, I guess that's to, to not derail this conversation. Actually, let me bring it into context. So let's say somebody says, OK, guys, I hear you talking and uh, I would be interested in practicing contentment or how can how can I be more content with where I am? How can I form my thoughts or guide them in that direction? We did we did mention meditation earlier. What are some of the other ways, again, not to force it, but to I don't know. I'm trying to think of what the the right word, because I'm trying not to say, you know, to say, okay, I'm going to become content. Boom. That's my goal. Because that's, that's, again, antithetical to what we're talking about in a lot of ways. But what's the proper path then to walk the Wabi Sabi way that there you go for that for that particular um, beginning practice of entering into this? I love that question. Uh, Start small. I guess that's the way I would say it. Um, So. I, I presume that most people 
uh, that are listening to this have some sort of um, morning thing that they do, or if they're if they're a night shift person, when they wake up, uh, one of the things that they do that they enjoy. For most people, it's probably coffee. I know that's that's it for me, but there's a lot of people who enjoy tea or something like that. Um, I think that's a really easy gateway drug into contentment practice. So. One thing that I love to do, and I don't do it every morning because sometimes my mind goes elsewhere, but just like pouring that hot cup of coffee, watching the steam rise and just feeling how it hits your throat and just enjoying it. Um, it only takes like 10 seconds, right? Um, but but gosh, that's the fact that you have that um, right in front of you at your disposal. Think of think of all the the things that it took to produce that coffee from... If you're using instant, right, it took a lot of processing. If you're using regular beans, they had to be ground. They had to be grown. Uh, the rain had to fall. The, the trucks had to come to collect the beans from the farmers. They had to be roasted, all that stuff. Uh, and then the water that you used for it, that has to be gotten from somewhere, right? Whether you're getting city water that's coming through the, you know, the treatment plants and all that, um, the, the coffee maker you're using, that had to be manufactured. I doubt you made it yourself, but if you do, if you did, kudos. Uh, but all of those things, if you think about those things, like those things are there at your disposal uh, waiting for you and they make this awesome cup of coffee or, or cup of tea in the morning and we, we just block all that out. But gosh, like if everyone came to your door each morning, all the people involved and told you all the things that it took them to get you that coffee and that water in those machines – I'm pretty sure you'd say thank you unless you're a sociopath. You'd be like, wow, guys, that's a lot of work. Thank you so much for it. Um, but I think we forget that kind of stuff, how much goes into all the things we have. And we can be super thankful for that. So if I were to sum that up in in one kind of easy to remember way, I guess I'm, I'm doing that for myself is what I'm doing here. Uh, I would say that that is practicing intentional noticing. Yeah. yeah. You know, like it's... And again, you have to kind of almost switch on your brain in a, in a way or ease into it and say, uh, this is part of who I am. This is part of my ritual of what I am doing right now is I am going to pay attention. I'm going to notice those things. I'm going to notice the, the shape of the cup or the craftsmanship of the cup and the grinding of the beans and wondering, you know, and letting your mind wander even and, and, yeah. The be where'd they come from? You know, I know where I bought them from and I actually know even more of the story of where they, they make it and they roast it and et cetera. Um, but going down that road, letting, letting your mind wander in a way, I guess. Yeah. And well, and, uh, the last episode of yours that I listened to was that episode with Chris, Chris Bailey. And he talked about that a little bit, right? The, the wandering mind. It was the default mode network. Yeah. The, the scatter focus. Part, yes. part of it. Yes. I'm, I've, I've been a huge proponent of that for a long time. Um, and it's, it really is, there's a reason why we come up with great ideas when our mind does wander. And again, it's gotta be wandering. That's not so much on like, what do I have to do today or what things are coming up and all that stuff. Sometimes that can be helpful, but a lot of times it, it can just be more stressful. But if your mind wanders to weird places, places like, um, you know, Oh, I wonder what it took to get this coffee to my doorstep. And you're imagining the faces of you know farmers you've never met and truckers you've never met and 
all that stuff. Like it's, that tends to be more pleasant or at least it's neutral, right? And, and that, that gets your mind in a kind of a more playful state. And at least that's priming it to be more appreciative. I really think that we all have the capacity to be appreciative in the way that you described to kick this discussion off. Um, I think it's innate in, in humans. And I think you see it in our faces when we interact with each other and something really cool happens to us. Um, but so much of the noise of day-to-day life, which tends to be us internalizing stuff from the outside world, uh, we let so much in that kind of fogs everything up that we, we forget all the things that we really can be appreciative of. Um, and, and, and we live in the past or we live in the future, but none of that stuff is real. Like the past is gone. Like there's parts of it that have affected you and changed you. Um, but those, those things in the past that you might be wishing you had done differently are gone. And the things that are in the future, like the bill that's due next week or whatever, like, you know, that that's in the future. It's not, it's not with you right here, right here, right now, you just got what you're doing and you're breathing and wherever your mind's going. And if you can keep your mind in a place that's more wholesome and isn't bogged down with the future or the past, it can be exhilarating. Uh, it occurs to me that uh, I've, I've received a few moments like this recently without knowing it was going to happen, I guess, um, with people being somewhat separated or uh, grouped together with people long term, like, you know, I'm, I'm putting that the nicest way. I've been trapped in my house with my family. Let me out. <laughs> um, when I've gone to walk the dog and I've seen another person and it's not even somebody I know never seen him before in my life, but they're walking on the other side of the street. And as we pass by, you know, turn and, you know, wave like I don't know that person and they don't know me. But we the acknowledgement, the noticing and the acknowledgement of another human again is, is kind of and, the, and the, the thoughtfulness, the contentedness, the appreciativeness, I guess, is another better word there to throw in of that state of isn't this great that this is something I had taken um, for granted, walking the dog, seeing another human, having contact in, in an appropriate way, distance wise, et cetera, just that it's the note again, the intentional noticing and the practicing of that. And it's funny. Uh, I mean, there, there is a, a saying in, in Japanese culture that's not really related to Wabi Sabi, but what you said reminded me of it. Uh, I'll, I'll probably butcher the pronunciation, but it's called Ichigo Igei or Igie, I think it is. Um, it's this idea that every moment that happens, it's never going to happen again. It's completely unique. Mm. Uh, the, the elements will always be different, even if they look mostly the same. And, uh, there are, there are times when we really like the one you mentioned, like we really just feel that and that, if you can, if you can kind of train yourself to pick up on those things more and more, just remind yourself like, Hey, this moment is just never going to, things are never going to be exactly like this ever again. And I was a part of it. It's pretty cool. Maybe it's a trick, right? Maybe you're, you only fall for it a few times, but, but I think we feel that stuff pretty deeply from time to time. Yeah, I, I think so. There are moments where it just, it kind of hits me. In fact, that whole like, okay, there's, there is no, there has never been and never will be again a, a June day at this time of this o'clock ever again. We've, we've, ju- it's just passed. And I was talking, uh, to you as it happened. And I will appreciate that that, that, ha- that, that happened. So. 
<laughs> yeah, and those links survive between people. Like if right. you think about what what are friendships and familial relationships and relationships built upon, they're they're built upon those moments. Um, you know, you, you can you can spin a tale about you know why you love the person they have this quality and that quality, and that's fine. But uh, that's just kind of on paper stuff, right? What you're really talking about is that you've had these moments with them that have these feelings as components. And even if someone else had the same qualities and you spent time with that person, it would never be the same. And the funny thing is, this is kind of like the hack about it, uh, that stuff, you can internalize that as well. Like I've had plenty of moments like that by myself, right? Where I'm just, I've managed to make a peace with myself for however long it lasts until I beat myself up about something else again. But I've sat with myself and, and just, just had that experience of like, you know what? I've really like, I've really bonded with myself. Like right now I'm cool with who I am and how I am imperfections and, and everything. And I'm going to move forward, hopefully a, relating to myself a little better. And, and I've talked about this before, especially in be, think, do, right? We, we have, we absolutely have relationships with ourselves and they're as complex, um, and, and fraught sometimes as our relationships with others. And in fact, our relationship with ourselves, uh, informs a lot of our relationships with others. The reasons that we snap off at people that we love when we're, we're angry or frustrated has a lot to do with how we feel about ourselves. And, and so really, again, it starts small, it starts with you. And, and I think people who, who go about life thinking that they're going to find the answers out there or with someone new or with a new job and all that stuff, uh, that's, that's just not how it works. Uh, and, and when you end up getting that accomplishment or that possession or that person and things end up basically the same, it's because you haven't worked on yourself. You haven't dropped in and really gotten to know yourself and made peace with who you found there. I know for a lot of people, they're maybe hearing this and they're thinking, so really you guys are just talking about self-care. And I'm like, well, yeah, yeah. in a way, <laughs> yeah. But that's, and, and I don't want to demean it or belittle it, but but it's it's more than that. Uh, but also just that as well, I guess. I don't know. Well, but, it, the thing about self-care is like, it's just so... It's such a broad thing. I mean, think about the word care, right? Like if you care about someone, that's what the Beatles said. All you need is love, right? Love and care be very similar to each other. So if you really care about yourself and care about at least one other person, there's probably not that much more to life that you need. Well, uh, there's not really a lot of other places to go here without diving way back deeper into other things. But I think we've gone around and around and talked about this and and walked a path. Um, I think that really, if if there's anything else to say, it's just that again, grab the book. It's it's short. It's not some big tome on Eastern, you know, philosophy. It's uh, it is really. Uh, succinct. It is, again, it's economical with its words, <laughs> like I mentioned earlier. And I like that about it. And, uh, it's definitely something that, you know, as I've talked, after I've talked with you about it, I need to go through it again. But I, I, I would say I would invite everybody to, to take a look at that and take a look at where you are right now. And, and again, practice that, uh, intentional noticing. Now that I've kind of called it that, I'm going to start referring to it that way and, and, you know, moving into moments of that. I'm going to intentionally invoke intentional noticing. There you go. Ooh, layers. Yes. 
<laughs> yeah, it's, you know, it, it is like you said, the, the, the book is short. It was, it was made short on purpose, right? Because you, there's, you don't want to box people in, right? I mean, essentially, and maybe I should have said this to, to really give the elevator pitch, but this book is really, it, it's a guidepost to living a much freer life. There are so many ways that we chain ourselves down and I'm not even trying to be super spiritual, like every anxiety and, and commitment that you make and expectation that you have, or you let others continue to have about you, that stuff's just, it can chain you down. It's really about removing all the ones that you're not okay with. A certain amount of chains are good. They keep you from floating away. Um, but everything else, you just, you got to get rid of. And the book really, it just goes through some mindset shifts. And then at the end of each chapter, it has actionable uh, meditations and exercises that you can do to really just help you adopt that mindset. Because again, everyone's mind is different and some things are going to work for some people. Some aren't going to work for others. That's a great place to stop. Uh so again, I, I'll link up to it in the show notes. Uh, is there any particular place on your site you want to send people to? Uh, you can just go to mikesturm.net uh, slash wabi-sabi-way, uh, and that gives kind of a rundown of, uh, of the book and, and where you can buy it. But otherwise, yeah, just Googling wabi-sabi-way uh, should bring the book up, I think, as the first search result. Perfect. Well, Mike, it's been great to talk with you again, and we'll have to do it again soon. Uh, maybe f- figuring out another topic to, to string along in this ongoing conversation because it's, I, I'm sensing a thread. So. Oh, there's a thread. Yes. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks again. Thank you, Eric. Well, that's another podcast crossed off your podcast listening to-do list. I hope that you enjoyed this conversation with Mike Sturm and that you found it enlightening enough to go grab the book. I'm loving it. I'm going through it again now that I've had a conversation with him about that topic, as well as going through his previous book, The Collection of Essays, Be, Think, Do. Because right now, currently, this is a really great time for me to, and a lot of people, I think, to to reassess, reprioritize, rethink pr- productivity. Usually, my productivity changes from season to season based on what's going on in life quarterly or even six months to a year. Things just change and you need to realign, reassess. And I think we can all admit that that pace has accelerated recently. So if you find yourself in that place or you know of other people that are in that place, which again, that's a lot of us, and you know someone who would benefit from listening to this, would you do me the favor of sharing this with them? Hit that share button in whatever your podcast player app of choice is. Let someone know about this episode. Thanks again for sharing. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next episode.
Hey, thanks for listening to the end. If you're looking for a show to start helping you apply these productivity lessons on your business, check out Millionaire University. It's real lessons from real entrepreneurs teaching you what you need to know to improve your business or start one if you've been putting it off. It covers all aspects of business from starting marketing, growing, managing, and everything in between, wearing all the hats. And as an added bonus, I am conducting a number of those conversations, those interviews, so you'll fit right in. Again, that's Millionaire University. Just search for it in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this podcast.